when you go to a church called Epiphany, you know what the festival of the Epiphany is, right? It's the twelfth day of Christmas. It's El Dia de los Reyes. It's the day we celebrate the wise men coming to see Jesus. You can tell that in this church. There's the mural. And all the lights, the lights on the tree, the lights on the advent wreath, the lights on the Christmas candle, the lights on the altar candles, all the lights are on. Because we remember that a special star led the wise men to the place where the child was. No longer in the manger, he's in a house now. The star led them to that place. And when Pastor read all about the wise men, you knew all that already, right? Was there anything in there that surprised you? They lived east of Jerusalem. They traveled from the east to the west and arrived at Jerusalem because they saw from a star that a new king was born, a Jewish king, and they knew that king had to be in Jerusalem. So they checked it out and they were kind of surprised to find out not in Jerusalem. So they asked, where is the king supposed to be born? King Herod, who was surprised to hear there was a new king, and you catch on between the lines, not happy, had it researched, and they found it in the prophet Micah. King is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so he sends the wise men to Bethlehem. And there they find Jesus. And they bring him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Everyone knows gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? From them, people say, maybe there were three kings, one with each gift. We don't know. And then they worship Jesus. Did you hear what happened in the end? I don't know if people know this part as well. The last verse that Pastor read while we were standing... Since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Did you remember that happened? They went back to their own country by another route. On the festival of the Epiphany, we celebrate that Jesus is king for all peoples, for all nations, King even for wise men from far away, not just for Jewish people. And sometimes, even still today, people in other nations see and worship Jesus and then go back to their own country by another route. I know a man like that. And he told me about his father. His father was born in a majority Muslim country that I cannot name so that I don't put anybody's life in danger. The father was born in that country to a prominent family. It was a Muslim family. Everybody in the family was proudly Muslim. And the father heard about Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked in his heart and he became Christian, the only Christian member of a prominent Muslim family. He was under terrible pressure. 
They called him traitor, dishonor, not a citizen of the country, threatened to kick him out of the family. The Holy Spirit kept him faithful. He was a Christian. And he married a Christian woman. And he used the influence that he had from being a member of a prominent family in this rather poor country. He took the resources that he had personal under his disposal, and he started two what he called seminaries. We would probably call them Bible colleges. But they were for people of college age, Christians who wanted to be trained how to reach out to Muslims. And they would have, you'd enroll, if you wanted to enroll, you would enroll for only eight months. And at the end of eight months, they would graduate you from these seminaries. And then you were on your own at first to go tell Muslim people about Jesus. But using his influence and resources, this man found a place for the graduates of his seminaries to go because there was a war in a neighboring country. And as a result of that war, millions of refugees came over the border. And the Red Crescent, the Muslim aid organizations, helped them. But this man got the only license from this Muslim government to bring Christian relief, Christian aid, and Christian people who spoke the gospel to these majority Muslim refugees. And so small Christian communities started in the refugee camps from what this man was doing, from the graduates of his seminaries. He had a son. The son was raised Christian. The son told me that it was very difficult to remain Christian and that, in fact, one time his uncle took him aside and said to him, your father's crazy and he's dishonored to the family and to the nation, and you really need secretly to be Muslim until you're old enough to tell your father that you are of a clear mind. And he said that was very tempting. It was his favorite uncle who did that. But the Holy Spirit kept him faithful, and he remained Christian, faithful to Jesus, faithful to his father. And when he was getting ready to be of marriage age, this was not a country where you dated. This was a country where your family chose your bride for you. So his parents looked around to try to find him a Christian bride, a Christian wife. None were to be found in his country. But they did find one in an immigrant family to the United States. And so they arranged for his marriage to a Christian girl from, who immigrated from that country to the United States. And so he got his master's in business, and he got his immigrant paperwork in order, and he did what he could and came uh, properly to the United States to court this girl and then to marry her. He married into this Christian family of the immigrant in the United States, and they were Lutheran. They were not Wells. They were a different kind of Lutheran. This family wanted to reach out to immigrants from their country in the United States with the Lutheran faith. And so they enlisted this man to try to do it. And they said, you have to do it our way. And as he tells the story, he says, I tried to do it their way for two years, Pastor. Zero results. They wouldn't believe me that my father had trained me how you reach out to Muslims. So I finally told them, as politely as I could, I cannot do it your way any longer. And so instead of doing it that way, he invited formerly Muslim people into his home. And I say formerly, 
because he simply spoke the word of God to them and had people who were interested in finding out about Jesus, finding out about Christianity, who came to faith. And a large group began to worship and have Bible study in his home. He pursued connections in another nearby city. And because it was a border city, this another nearby city was in another country. And he got all the proper legal things to cross the border of the United States and this other country. And he began to work with that second group. And they asked him a lot of questions about the scripture he wasn't sure about. And the both of the groups were growing. And he realized maybe he needed more training to do this work that he wanted to do. But he wasn't sure that he wanted that training from the Lutheran church that his wife had been a member of. And so he searched around for other Lutherans who might allow him to work in the United States and in a foreign country and train him to be a pastor. And that's how he found Wells, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And that's how I came to know him. Because one of the things I do on your behalf is work on training for pastors, teachers, staff ministers, and missionaries in special cases. People who need special training, who can't do the regular route, who have to do it in sight where they are. And, well, this man and I met and became good friends. He told me his story. And I said, we can train you to be a pastor. It's going to take longer than the regular way. And so we got him started in classes. We introduced him to Luther's small catechism. He became a member of a Wells church, and he said, Pastor, I have never seen the Christian faith presented so clearly before. This is a beautiful thing, this law and this gospel. I did not know so clearly before that everyone was a sinner. And I did not know so clearly before that Jesus is the Savior of anyone, giving forgiveness of sins without any strings attached, all because God loves us. What a wonderful book this is. I'd like to share it with as many people as I can. Then his father died. His father was still in that other country that I can't name. And he asked whether one of our missionaries could fly with him to back to that country where his father had died. When he and that missionary landed there, they could not find his mother. And then they found out that she had been beaten by a Muslim mob because she dared to try to bury her husband in a Christian funeral service. Wherever those people are in that country, to say openly that you are a Christian is to put your own life in danger. Even here in this country, there are mosques in the place where that man lives. And there are a couple of times where his wife and children have been in danger when he was not around. In fact, we've had to move him to a different living place to be sure that he's in a much safer place. They did manage to have a Christian funeral for his father. And at the end of the funeral, he turned to the missionary who was with him and said, here's how it works in this country. I have now inherited my father's seminaries. 
and I have inherited this license that he has to bring Christian aid and the gospel as the only Christian organization for the millions of refugees who've come over the border into our country. They're mine now, and I want them to be wells. I want you to train the people at those seminaries to teach precisely what I'm learning from the scripture according to Luther's small catechism. And I want you, wells, missionaries, to be the ones who are able to bring the aid and relief along with the graduate of those seminaries and help organize Christian churches in the refugee camp. He took the missionary to the refugee camp. There was a lot of noise one night when they were there. The missionary found out that the Muslim mobs in the camp had taken the people who were hosting them and threatened their lives for hosting a Christian missionary. Even working in the camps and saying that you're Christian puts, the, puts your life in danger. And so, suddenly, we inherited two seminaries in another country and the opportunity to bring the gospel to millions of refugees. We inherited a man who had all of those permissions already and all of the cultural understanding and who was on fire to bring Jesus to those people as well as he had come to know him from his study here. He had worshipped Jesus here as he had come to know him. And then he went back to his own country by another route and brought that word of Jesus to those people and invited us to be a part of it. Shortly after they returned from that trip to that other country, COVID hit. It hit the immigrant community in the United States where he was serving quite hard. And of the people that he was serving, a number of the people he had brought to faith died of COVID early on in the epidemic. It was quite a blow. And I wondered how his morale would keep up. And he told me, it's very difficult, Pastor, and I'm very sad. But this is the ideal opportunity to show all of these Muslim immigrants Christian confidence and Christian love. I've heard, Pastor, he said to me, that uh, there are congregations there in Wisconsin that are sewing masks for people. Do you think they could sew masks for me to distribute to the immigrants? There's great fear, and they don't know how they can get masks. I said, I'm sure these congregations in Wisconsin could do that. Uh, we enlisted congregations all over the nation to do that. Thousands of masks were sent. And when the congregations heard his plan to buy food for those immigrants as well, since most of them were out of their jobs uh, when they weren't considered essential workers and in difficult situations, there was a Muslim holiday coming up, and there was no food to celebrate with the family. And he said, I know that it's odd that you would support celebrating a Muslim holiday, but they're really just celebrating with their family. And here's what I'll tell them, Pastor. These Christians care whether you have something to eat. These Christians care whether you live or die, and so they have made masks for you. I asked the congregations to make masks out of the cloth at Hobby Lobby that has the Christian symbols and Christian words on them, and this man reported that the people to whom he gave the masks 
were very affected by Christians who didn't know them at all making these masks and providing food for their families. With each one of those, this man gave them his card and said, I'm Christian. I'm doing this because I'm Christian and the love of Christ makes me do this. I want you to know Christ and his love. You contact me when you need anything. And I don't know if you talk about prospect lists, the number of people that you're able to contact and tell about Jesus, invite to Bible information class and to worship. His contact list, his prospect list, expanded tenfold from the outreach that you helped with. I'm telling you this tonight so that you can rejoice with me that many more are being brought to faith in three different locations across the world from this effort. I want you to join me in prayer for this man and the people that the Lord is bringing to faith through his work and through yours. I want you to know that your mission offerings are being used in this worthy, valuable, precious endeavor. I want you to know that the Lord continues to reach out to the nations through the work that you are supporting, through the work that we are able to do as we pool our resources together. And then I want you to know, you who already know the love and forgiveness of Jesus, how he's keeping you safe through this difficult time, holding you safely in his hand, I want you to know that even if your congregation's name is not Epiphany, we'll still celebrate Epiphany and Jesus, the Lord of nations, no matter what the name of our congregation is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.